Good morning. How's everyone doing? Fantastic. Sup? Any other uh, greetings you guys want to offer me? Hi there. Oh, that's nice. Shalom. Biblical. I like that. JD wins. Let's give it up for JD with Shalom, the official greeting of Southlands Church now. Greet one another only by saying Shalom. Well, we are talking about prayer today, and um, we've been teaching through the book of Luke. And uh, every once in a while, the passage in Luke that we're on kind of perfectly parallels where we're at as a church. And when that happens, it's really sweet, and it's kind of confirmation of what God is doing among us. And this morning, we're at that same spot. You know, we've kind of recalibrated our midweek gatherings to be about prayer. And we have kind of gone all in with prayer to spend less time talking about the Bible and more time praying through the Bible. Not only that, but the week prior to this one, we spent three days fasting and abstaining from food and social media to create a hunger among us to know God and to see him move. And I really believe that in that same spirit, God is having us in Luke 11. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and crack them open to Luke 11. And we are at what is uh, most often called the Lord's Prayer. And we're gonna talk about that and read through that text and talk about its implications for our life. Specifically this morning, I wanna talk about the secret to answered prayer. You know, prayer sometimes can feel like a mystery. Why does God answer some prayers and not answer others? Certainly, um, the cause church right now is asking that question. Why did God not answer our prayers to heal our pastor? And we prayed for them because we want nothing but the comfort of the Spirit to come and to lead them through this profoundly difficult time But that question is often put to us as well. You will pray for things in life that seems like this is something God would want to do and he will not do it. And in those moments when you're faced with God's delay in answering prayer or God's unanswered prayer, those are crucial moments for you to understand what is actually happening. And so we are going to attempt to jump in and answer some of those questions together. So let's start, Luke 11. We're gonna read the first four verses together. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, which is another word for holy. Let your name be holy your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you that you did not leave us alone to stumble through a maze of mystery to figure out how we are to pray. Thank you, God, that you have clearly and directly given us the actual words that you want us to pray. God, I thank you that that is a grace to us. In our moments of pain and in our moments of confusion, Lord, would we fall back on what we know about what you have asked us to do in regards to prayer. 
And I pray this morning, God, that you would teach us to pray with great fervor and perseverance and passion that we would commune with a God who loves us deeply. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. The first secret to answered prayer is to pray for the Father's will to be accomplished. That you would pray for the Father's will to be accomplished. You know, Jesus' disciple comes up to him and said, hey, Jesus, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples to pray. Did you guys catch that? As John taught his disciples to pray. What's happening there is each religious leader and rabbi in Jesus' day had their own form of prayer. They had their own unique style of praying. Today, that would be similar to preaching. Different preachers have their own style. But back then, it wasn't the preach that was unique. It was the prayer that was unique. And so Jesus' disciples are going up to Jesus to be like, hey, what's going to be our thing? How are people going to know that we follow Jesus? What's like a Jesus-following-disciples prayer supposed to be like? And so Jesus delivers us with the Lord's Prayer, which is really the disciples' prayer, more accurately named. It's a prayer for the disciple to pray. But it's so important. These words are so important. They have not been overinflated in church history. They have been appropriately inflated. This is how people will know that you follow Jesus, that you pray like this. And the first thing he says is you need to come to God as a father. You need to be able to approach God with kind of this intimacy and nearness and joy. You need to be able to feel the freedom like a little kid to walk up to their dad, throw their hands up and request to be held. And Jesus is saying this to the backdrop of a very formal and religious culture of prayer. A a, a type of culture of prayer where you would be more scared of God as you went to him. You would come kind of with fear and trembling, (laughs) hoping that God wasn't mad, hoping that you said the right thing. And so to us, 2,000 years removed, it's like, yeah, you pray to God as Father, but to the original hearers, this would have been life-altering. That the very first word, with one word, Jesus changed and reframed the entire tone of prayer. Father, Father, And there's a beautiful tension here because it's Father, holy is your name. So it's not Father in a disrespectful way, in a condescending way, in a demanding way. There's a fear and there's a reverence, but nonetheless, there is this Father-like nature to prayer. The um, 19th century evangelist and pastor A.B. Simpson, he wrote a book on this very uh, verse in Scripture, and he says this, true prayer must at once recognize the nearness and the greatness of God. True prayer at once must recognize the nearness, Father, and the greatness, hallowed be your name, of God. And Jesus is trying to infuse, this bug's pestering me, his disciples with the confidence to know that they can kick open the door to God's house and run to him. (coughs) I literally swallowed it. (coughs) (coughs) live stream can we get an instant replay on that (coughs) 
Wow. That is a first. I literally swallowed the gnat. <laughs> That's fantastic. Oh, God has a sense of humor, that's for sure. I'm not saying God made me swallow the nap, but I'm kind of saying he allowed it to happen. <laughs> you know, like nearness and greatness at the same time. All right, back on track, <laughs> if that's possible. <clears throat> He's still kind of moving in there, to be honest with you. <laughs> I will never forget this sermon. <laughs> you might, but I, I won't. Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay. Lord have mercy. So we approach God as Father. But here's the problem not the gnat, the real problem. The real problem is that that is entirely foreign and unnatural to us. When we pray naturally, we come to God transactionally. We have been conditioned by our culture, by the way that we were trained in school, by the way we're trained in business, real estate, law, government, and many broken family structures that are unhealthy. You are trained to have a transactional nature in relationships. Transactional nature means that there's a code, there's a rule. If I pay the price, you will deliver the goods. If I hold up my end of the deal, you will hold up your end of the deal. And it's almost impossible at first to come to God fully relationally, ready to know him and ready to experience him. I, in thinking about this, have reflected on my own relationship with my dad. And I love my dad, and our relationship over the years has only gotten better and sweeter. He's stepping into retirement now, and so we're kind of talking and figuring out together how he's going to spend his free time, and he's been delivering meals on wheels, and he's really enjoyed that, and he's in these different Bible studies, and we're talking about what he's learning, and I love talking to my dad. I love hearing what's going on, especially because he lives far away, and so to catch up and get a glimpse of what's happening is really sweet. But I also feel the confidence to ask my dad for stuff. Like last weekend, I asked my dad to drive down here eight hours to watch the kids so my wife and I could take a weekend away. And I felt, because of the joy of our relationship, because of the safety in our relationship, I could ask my dad that pretty big favor. And let me tell you, he's not complaining about time with the grandkids, that's for sure. But it was still costly on some level to him. And that's kind of how it is with God. God wants you to ask. My dad was happy. He was filled with joy to meet that need in my life because he's a good father. And that's the same with our God, that he wants to meet your needs. He wants you to ask for help. But more than what you can get out of God, what you get in prayer is God. Prayer is a means by which we commune with and get to know and get wrapped up in the intimacy of a father who knows us and loves us. So the question becomes, how do we recondition ourselves from a transactional relationship to a relational relationship? How do we undo the things we've learned about getting this for that, and if I do this, you give me that, from all elements of life? Professor at Biola, Tim Muehlhoff, teaches his students five levels of communication. 
There's these five deepening levels of communication, and I have found them to be so helpful, and I feel like they can help us think through how we deepen our relationship with God. We may have some slides up here. Oh, there we go. Let's give it up for the media team. They were fighting so many technical difficulties this morning, but they have powered through, and by God's grace, there's the weird graphic I made. Okay, um, so the first level of relationship is cliches. Hi, how are you doing? Isn't this weather? Lovely, okay. Cliches are the kind of social pleasantries. They're not bad. So these levels of relationship, I want there's not a moral quality to them. It's not that some are better or some are worse. It's just some are more intimate and vulnerable and some are not. So to say those cliches, you're not going very deep with someone. You're not bringing any of yourself to the conversation. You're just saying the things that you think you need to say. I think we do this in prayer. Well, we certainly do it anytime we use words, phrases, or ideas without understanding, feeling, or believing them. Anytime you use a word, a phrase or an idea in prayer that you don't really understand, you don't really feel, or you don't really believe. You are praying on this kind of shallow level of cliche to God. The second level is facts. And this is a deepening because you're actually talking about things that are going on in your life. You're talking about your situation to God. I'm gonna illustrate the rest of these with kind of one prayer. And I want you to pay attention to how this prayer morphs into deepening levels of intimacy. A fact prayer around the issue of not having a job would be, Lord, please help me get a job. It's not bad to pray that. It's not wrong to pray that. It's just a fact of your situation, and you're asking God to change the situation. Going a little deeper is opinions. In communication, the next level is opinions. It's a little vulnerable to say, I think this, or I believe that, because it can be critiqued, or someone could have a differing counter view. And so you're getting more of yourself in the conversation. For our illustration, this would be, Lord, I don't like being unemployed. Please help me find a job. Do you guys notice that level of deepening a relationship? You're now talking about your opinion on what's happening and sharing it with God. The third level of depth is feelings. Feelings. And this is beyond just an opinion. It's how you're experiencing your opinion. It's how you're experiencing your facts, the things that are going on in your life. The prayer here would be, Lord, I'm anxious and I'm fearful because I'm unemployed. Please help me. Lord, I'm anxious and I'm fearful because I'm unemployed. Please help me. Now you're really getting to the stuff of prayer. Now you're really exposing your internal world and you're coming to God vulnerably and you're sharing with him what's going on in your soul. And that is what God loves and delights in and what he has invited us to by using this word, Father. Now the deepest level of communication is complete openness complete openness. This is where you're not just articulating your feelings, but you're sharing with God what's really vulnerable, what you're really fearful of in life. I think the prayer here might be, Lord, without a job, I question my value. I question my worth. I question if you really care about me. Please help me find my worth and my value in who I am in Christ, not what I do for Christ. And so this week, even as you pray, pay attention and take these categories with you. 
Are you in cliches with God? Do you only pray at the dinner table to bless the meal because that's just what your family does? And not that that's bad. Remember, get the moral good, bad qualities out of your head. It's not about bad or good. It's about surface or depth. And God is inviting you to rise to him in complete openness in your prayer life. He wants to meet you there. Do you want to meet him there? Are you wanting that same level of depth and relationship and passion with God that he wants with you? That is what God is saying when he says, pray to me as father. The second thing he says is your kingdom come. Father, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Now these words seem so simple and like we just have universal agreement right out of the gate. Your kingdom come. Who wouldn't want God's will to be done? What believer or follower of Jesus wouldn't want God to accomplish the things that he would want to accomplish? These words at first seem non-threatening and safe, but they are anything but non-threatening and safe. Because if God's will is done, guess whose will is undone? Yours. These are three of the most dangerous words you will ever pray if you pray them with complete openness. If you pray these words honestly from the depth of your heart, it means you are dethroning yourself in the center of your life. You're saying, God, I don't want to be in control anymore. I don't want to be in charge anymore. I don't want my plans for this relationship. I don't want my plans for this job. I don't want my plans for this career. I don't want my plans for my finances. I don't want my plans for where I live. I don't want my plans for how I do or don't evangelize. Lord, I want your plans. I want your will in my life. At the end of the day, as a disciple of Jesus, you can only pray in one of two ways. You can either say, thy will be done, or you can say, my will be done. And you may, on a cliche or fact level, be saying, Lord, your will be done. But in your deep internal reality, you're actually saying, my will be done. Lord, I'm praying for this because I think it's what you want, but really it's what you want. And really it's what you think you need. So you can only pray, thy will be done, or you can only pray, my will be done. Author and spiritual director David Brenner says it this way. These three words, your kingdom come, request that life as you know it be overturned. <laughs> These are not soft words. These are military words. This is a charge and a declaration that the kingdom of self must come down before the kingdom of God can be built up. Renouncing your will in desiring God, God's is the heart of Christian prayer. It's the heart of what God has for you. And, and look, you will never get there if you don't trust that God's good. You will never say your kingdom come, your will be done if you don't first believe that God's a good father, that he's gracious and he loves you and he has good things prepared for you. He's not trying to harm you. He's not trying to trick you. He's not trying to manipulate you. He's not trying to coerce you into something you don't want to do just for the sake of doing something you don't want to do. God is trying to bless you. 
God is trying to lead you into peace and wholeness and freedom and life and victory in the name of Jesus. And if you don't believe God is a good father, you will never pray, your will be done. Because it is not safe to go to someone and say, your will be done if they aren't safe. If there's a dangerous person and you surrender your life to them, you say, your will be carried out. You are foolish. You are reckless. You are gonna destroy your life if you submit yourself to someone who's dangerous. But what happens when you submit yourself to someone who's good? someone who's compassionate, someone who's all-powerful, someone who's constantly present in your life, that is the safest place to be. Can I just share with you guys ways that God has rocked my world when I've prayed, thy will be done and not my will? I spent four years slugging it out at a community college paying my own way, all my tuition, all my books, all my rent. I had worked so hard to get my associate's degree. And the Lord started to call me to Biola. And I looked at the cost of tuition and I said, nope. There is no way after the first four years of my adult life, I worked so hard to be debt-free and now I'm going to be stuck with what would have been $60,000 that I had to pay off. And I got accepted to Biola in over a year before I actually said yes to going, just fighting with God. God, this is bad stewardship. God, do you understand I'm going for biblical studies and theology? I'm not exactly gonna make that money back very quickly. <laughs> just wrestling with God until finally he broke through. Finally, I trusted him enough with my finances to go. And man, that was one of the greatest gifts I've ever received in life. I grew more by attending Biola and by finding Southlands than any other two-year period in my life. God was getting there to bless me. And this summer, Stacy and I paid off all of our student debt. So we are debt-free by God's grace. He knew that he had a plan for us. I also think back to when I was a high school teacher. I loved being a high school teacher. In a lot of ways, it really fits my gifting and how I'm wired and what I'm excited about. I was at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, and I was teaching juniors a New Testament survey. And I had been working tirelessly to develop my own curriculum because I wasn't given any curriculum to teach. They just said, hey, teach the New Testament. And I went, are you serious? And they went, yeah, the whole thing. And I was like, okay. And so I began to work on this curriculum hours and hours pouring time into writing lesson plannings and developing them in scope and sequence and trying to make it engaging. And, and I had told God, God, I'm going to be here for at least four years. I'm going to watch these freshmen graduate. And my gift to the world is going to be the most beautiful, eloquent curriculum that's ever been written. And Gospel Coalition and Crossway, they're going to call me and they're going to be like, Ryan, we've heard about this curriculum. Can we buy it from you? I'm like, I don't know. It's too sacred. Okay, several thousand dollars. Let's do this. And I'm just working on this curriculum. And then all of a sudden, I was headhunted by this crazy pastor named Alan Frau. And he asked me to apply for the job as the youth director here. And once again, my will be done. Lord, what about the curriculum, man? We're going to do some stuff. But thy will be done over a period of months. God just began to soften my heart to that idea. And there was a youth event we used to do 
back when you could do a youth events called Awakening. And um, it was a team from the UK under Mike Pilavashi's ministry. And there are all these like young interns who are growing and discerning the spirit and learning to listen to him. And my wife and I walked up to this like really short, very scared 19-year-old British girl who's like, can I pray for you? And she's like shaking and nervous. At least I felt nervous. And we're just like sitting there and we don't say anything. She knows nothing about us. And this is right in the middle of the interview process for the youth director job. And she's sitting there and she goes, can I sh share something with you? And I'm like, yes, I hope my British accent is not offensive to anyone. <laughs> Sorry, Sam and Becky. Um, and uh, she's like, I just keep hearing the words youth, youth, youth over and over. Does that mean anything to you? And we're just like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. And so God just so kindly, I, uh, being a teacher at a Christian school is a good thing, but it was in my name. And it was building my kingdom. And God was like, no, no, no. I want to build my kingdom through you. And by God's grace, I haven't just seen the freshmen graduated from high school here. I'm about to see the seventh graders graduate from high school here. God's plans are always bigger, always greater than our plans. And the only way you'll ever get there, the only way that you will ever get there is by trusting that God is actually, at the end of the day, a good father. And the hard thing he's calling you to do, even right now, the thing you're thinking about that you don't want to do is actually a means by which God will bless you. A means by which God will call you and draw you into himself. And his plans are always so much greater than our plans. The rest of this prayer is just unpacking how we pray your kingdom come. The Lord's Prayer, or better name, the Disciples' Prayer, is these two pillars. Father, your will be done. Father, your will be done. Father, your will be done. That is the template for Christian prayer over and over. And everything else that follows is how we seek God's kingdom. He didn't leave it a mystery. Very practically, he said, seek me for provision. He says, he says this, pray, give us this day our daily bread. Those are kingdom prayers. God is now saying, don't hustle and work hard to provide for yourself and only for yourself, but work hard for the good of your community. Notice it's, Lord, give us our daily bread. I've been corrected on that. I think of that prayer as, Lord, give me my daily bread, but that's not how God taught us to pray. God taught us to pray, Lord, give us the community of faith, our daily bread. Secondly, he says, trust me for forgiveness. The kingdom advances through forgiveness. Isn't that crazy? God's will is established when you forgive other people and when you receive the forgiveness of God. And the last thing he says is, trust me for victory. Lead us not into temptation. God wants to be moving and working in your life to provide for you, to help you forgive others, to help you receive the forgiveness of God and to help you overcome temptation. That is his will for your life. Right there, tangible, practical, things you can actually pray for today. The second thing that we need to look at when we think about the secret to answered prayers is keep that we keep praying even when God delays. So firstly, that we pray the Father's will be accomplished. That's one secret to answered prayer. The second one is that we keep praying even when 
God delays. You know, this is the first time Jesus has clearly and directly articulated how the disciples are to pray. Remember, this is big picture stuff. This is your brand of prayer. This is how people are going to know that you're a Christian, is that you pray this way. You pray with this tone for these things to be accomplished. And so if you're hearing that for the first time, I think I would have been like, sweet, it's black and white. I pray God's kingdom comes and it happens. I pray that I wouldn't be tempted and I'm free from sin. I pray for my daily bread and God always provides all of my needs. This Christian thing is neat. <laughs> Mature believers, is that in any way how it works? No, what, why? Because I'm back to transactional thinking, aren't I? That's the very thinking God's trying to get out of my head. Transaction, it's relationship. And so Jesus gives this parable to help caution the disciples against misunderstanding what he's saying. He says this in verse five. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend. In this parable, God is the friend. And you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked. Get out of here, man. My kids are sleeping. It's the middle of the night. I'm not going to give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up, this is so important. Please grab this line. Please grab this line. He will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus saying, when you come to God, you're, the fact that you're friends with God, the fact that you're cool with God isn't enough to get your prayers answered. Just because you're friends with God, he's not just gonna automatically roll out the red carpet, make your life blissful, and answer all of your prayer requests. That's transactional. God has something so much greater for us. And he says, ask me with shameless audacity. I mean, I want you to picture this for yourself. You need something from your neighbor. It's the middle of the night. You kind of know your neighbor, maybe you don't. And you go over and you knock on the door. And your neighbor cracks the door. Let's say they have one of those chain things, right? Cracks the door, chain thing catches it. It's like, what do you want? We're not even really friends. What are you doing here, you know? And he says like, oh, I need this, this, this. He's like, it's one in the morning. My whole family's asleep. I'm not gonna do it. And he shuts the door. And what do you do? You keep banging. Shameless audacity. He opens the door again. Seriously, dude, I'm gonna call the cops. Get out of here. Shuts the door again. You keep banging, you keep banging. You are there for an hour. The cops show up, right? The whole neighborhood is mad at you. I'm stretching the metaphor, but listen to the words that Jesus uses. Shameless audacity. Shameless audacity. That is what it would look like for you to go to your neighbor and petition for the things that you need. But notice the things needed are not for oneself, they're for somebody else. Notice that this man who goes to his neighbor is not saying, God, I need this. He's saying, God, this traveler needs this. And the word in Greek is actually for a lost wanderer. So beautiful. The neighbor gets up, goes to his friend's house, shamelessly with audacity repeats 
that bread is provided, nourishment is provided for his friend who is lost, petitioning on behalf of someone else. But this doesn't answer the question still why God delays. If you're asking in a relational way, and if you're praying a kingdom prayer, why doesn't God just automatically answer all the prayers that are prayed relationally from the king's perspective? I want to give you guys a few. The first one is that God delays when we haven't asked with shameless audacity. The most direct application of the text is that you haven't asked enough. <laughs> you, you haven't had been shameless or audacious in your requests for God to move. You've rested and trusted your friendship with God enough to not enter his throne room and petition him directly as a good father. I see this the most in myself and in Christian culture when we say things like, oh, I'll be praying for you. Anyone like me guilty of never praying for the person that they said, I'll be praying for you? Some of you do every time. God bless you. We need you. Please teach us how you do that. But a lot of us, we say things like, I'll be praying for you, and we forget to pray. Someone was musing to me the other day, man, I wonder if, if God is so tired of us saying, hey, I'll pray for you. He just honors the, hey, I'll pray for you as a prayer. <laughs> just like, that's got to be so frustrating to God sometimes that we're not praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ the way that we profess we will. And so sometimes God doesn't answer because we don't ask with shameless audacity. Man, um, Sarah Elliott at pre-service prayer was just reminding us that like God says, bug me. Isn't that crazy? God's the friend in the story. So he's like, bug me, bother me, talk my ear off, kick my door down. Unlike me, I'd be like, get out of here. It's one o'clock, slam the door. God is not like that. He unchains the lock and welcomes you in, and he gives you all that you need when you ask with shameless audacity. I heard a great, just inspiring story this week of shameless audacity. There's a woman in our church, and she's been praying for her brother to come to the Lord for 32 years. 32 years, in her words, she has earnestly been petitioning for her brother to come to know the Lord. And they've had a fractured relationship and they haven't been able to communicate the last several years, but last year, God began to repair the relationship. And just a few weeks ago, her and her husband had an over two hour conversation about faith and Jesus with her brother who was totally hardened before to hear anything about the gospel. That woman in our church is shamelessly petitioning God on behalf of someone else to enter the kingdom. And God is slowly but surely answering that prayer. Another reason God delays is that we doubt. We doubt. We, we say the words, but we don't really think God can do them. James 1, 6 says this, when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts, he's like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Woo, those are intense words. If you are asking in a doubting spirit, you should expect to receive from God nothing. Nothing. 
nothing. And why is that? Because the fundamental prerequisite of prayer is that what? You trust the Father. You come relationally. You come to him knowing that he's a good God that wants to answer your prayer. And when you break that trust with God, you are no longer praying relationally. You're back into praying transactionally. And God will not answer the one who doubts. The third reason is that God delays when we live in unrepentant sin. And this idea is all over Scripture, all over Scripture. In Isaiah 59 and 1 Peter 3, 7, and just all over the place, Genesis 3 even, if you are living in unrepentant sin, that means you have an ongoing habitual pattern of the same sin, and you have not actively sought to surrender that to God, then God will not listen to you. That's what the Bible says. You are muting God. Listen to Psalm 66, 18. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened to me. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened to me. Now, if you are fighting sin but haven't attained victory, that is totally different. You're, you know, welcome to the club. We, as followers of Jesus, we are all fighting sin and falling back. Fighting sin and falling back, but we're still fighting. This is in regards to the person who's no longer fighting. They are just living in a sinful pattern, and they're no longer with the power of the Spirit trying to push beyond that. And you know why God does that? Because un, as pain is to the body, to indicate something greater is happening and injured, so pain in your prayer life sometimes is indication that you're not right with God. And pain is a beautiful thing. If we didn't have pain, we would just continue on and our bodies would fail us. Pain is an indication, hey, something's wrong. Something needs to be fixed. You gotta go to the doctor. You gotta figure out what this is. And pain in our prayer life sometimes is, is God saying, there's a bigger issue at hand. I know you're praying for that job. I know you're praying for that relationship. I know you're praying for that person, but what I care about is you. And right now you are far from my kingdom and you're outside my grace. And I'm not gonna answer for fear that you would just keep walking in the direction that you're walking. It is God's hidden grace to us that he refuses to answer our prayer when we are not in right relationship with him. Because you know the thing that matters the most to God is that you and him are close. And he, he would be a bad God if he answered the prayers of those who are living in unrepentant sin because their primary issue would go unaddressed. Lastly, God delays often in answering prayer to produce character. God is trying to produce character by giving you a no. I am convinced that this is 90% of parenting a toddler. 90%, without exaggeration, is helping them walk through disappointment when you use the words no. I mean, my three-year-old is amazing, but we are actively working to help her accept no's without throwing a tantrum, without throwing a fit, without crying, without demanding things. So much of our parenting is just getting our child to accept the word no. Do you know, we often are the same way with God. God tells us no when we throw a fit, we stop praying, we don't come to church, we doubt him, we tantrum like a toddler because God tells us no. 
And the whole time, God is not telling us no to be mean or vindictive. It's because he's a loving father at times he will tell you no. For a whole host of reasons, not to mention often we can't handle the thing we're asking for. If we actually got that promotion at work, if we actually moved to that place, it would destroy us. And so God says no out of love, but he does it to form our character, but ultimately he does it to draw us back to himself. So when we hear a no from God, we would go right back in the throne room and keep asking as we build our relationship with God. And this is where we want to land. This is the last point of Jesus' teaching on prayer, and it's the last answer, last secret to getting answered prayer is to pray for more of the Holy Spirit. It's to pray for more of the Holy Spirit. Verse 11, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, We'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, church, hear this, how much more? Everyone say how? how? Much, much more. more will your Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And Jesus is saying, even sinful fathers like me and the other fathers in this room still try to provide for our kids, still keep them from danger and give them the food they need. But a holy and perfect God, how much more does he long to pour out his spirit on his people? How much more does he desire to rip open the gates of heaven and rain down blessing and peace and joy of knowing God and praying for the spirit as the band comes up is a summary to everything we've been talking about. Because if you're gonna grow in your intimacy with God, guess what you need? The Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit who helps us cry out, Abba, Father, in Romans 8. So if you wanna move from transactional prayer to relational prayer, you have to have the Spirit. You cannot do it without the Spirit. And if you are going to pray that God's will be done, meaning your will is undone, you are going to need the Spirit. You're gonna need the Spirit to comfort you when you don't get the things you want. You're gonna need the Spirit to highlight the ways that you're living for your own kingdom. You're gonna need the Spirit to lead you to pray, thy will be done. And lastly, if you are going to ask with shameless audacity, if you're gonna have the energy and the persistence to continually ask for the same thing over and over, you cannot do that in your strength. You cannot do that without the Spirit coming into you and filling you with the persistence you need to shamelessly and audaciously ask God to move. And church, this is the gospel. This is the good news of the Christian message. This is why Christianity is unlike any religion or philosophy that you've ever heard, because Jesus sets this amazingly high bar don't pray transactionally, only pray relationally. And you have to dethrone your kingdom so that you will pray God's kingdom. And you can't just ask for something once, twice, three times, 10 times, 100 times. You have to continually ask for the same thing, sometimes for 32 years. And you're sitting here and you're like, I can't do all that. Being a Christian's hard. God's call on my life to pray is above my ability to pray. I get distracted after five minutes of praying. 
I forget, to, I, don't, I don't even pray for my own family every day, let alone all these other things I need to pray for. And so you look at God's standard. You look at the bar that Jesus has set and it's so high and you think, I'm never gonna make it over that. In church, that is the point. Because the moment that you ask the Holy Spirit to come, like wings of eagles, he comes down underneath you and he picks you up and he lifts you up to God's standard. He teaches you how to pray. He teaches you how to enter into the Father's love. He leads you into victory over sin. You don't have to do it, church. This high standard, this whole sermon of this standard for prayer, it's not up to you. Don't try to do it on your own strength. Ask for the Holy Spirit to come and to fill you with the strength and the energy and the resolve you need to obey Jesus, to know the Father, to be embraced by a God who loves you, to dethrone yourself so that God's will can happen in your life. Church, you have private, exclusive access to the very throne room of heaven because the Spirit of God is in you. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? Would you guys stand with me? As we close, I would love just to spend some time asking the Spirit to meet us. I would love to spend some time asking God to pour out his love and to do something among us even in this service, even as we're watching online, where we would feel and know that God is with us, that we would talk to God relationally and not transactionally. And so I'm gonna pray, and if you would like to invite the Spirit to move, I just want you to hold out your hands. And this is just a physical sign of an inward reality that we are asking the Spirit to come. And so I'm gonna pray now. Spirit, I ask that you would meet us. Good Father, I ask that you would help us understand your love for us. Holy Spirit, at Southlands, we don't want to build our kingdom. We want to build your kingdom. We don't want our will to be done. We want your will to be done. And so, Holy Spirit, I just say, come. God of all creation, Lord of heaven and earth, we invite you afresh this morning to meet with us. Lord, when we don't know what to pray, a silver bullet of prayer is to ask for the Spirit to come. Lord, we can never miss by asking for more of the Spirit. And so we ask now, God, Lord, how much more will your Father in heaven? How much more will your Father in heaven? That is a promise that we are here to cash at the bank of heaven. That is a check that you have written to us. And we are here at the teller of the kingdom of God to say, cash it now. Send the Spirit, God. Work and move among us, we pray in Jesus' name. Would you guys sing this song with me as we wait on the Lord?